The pericope of Scripture this morning is found in Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 3. Judaizers were busy at work in the church of Galatia, turning the people from faith in Christ Jesus to works. Galatians 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth unto you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doth he it by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of, the, of faith the same are the children of Abraham. For the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men. Though it be but a man's covenant, yet it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he saith not, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, singular, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law which was 430 years after cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law, it was added, 
because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all are under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Many of these verses are applicable to the Lord's Day that we're going to look at, but especially verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Let's turn in our catechism to Lord's Day 15, which we began last Sunday, and we will conclude this morning. And I'm looking at question and answer 39. Page 9 in the back of your Psalter's Lord's Day 15, question and answer 39. Is there anything more in his being crucified than if he had died some other death? Answer, yes, there is. For thereby I am assured that he took on him the curse which lay upon me. For the death of the cross was accursed of God. May God again bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. Beloved on our Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism is all about your and my comfort, your and my strength that get us through our pilgrimage. What is your only comfort in life and in death? What comfort is it to you of, of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that he partook of our flesh and blood? What comfort is it unto you that he suffered his whole life the wrath of God? What comfort is it to you that he suffered under Pontius Pilate? That he was condemned as guilty even though he was innocent. That he was condemned that we might be loved and pardoned. 
What comfort is it to you that he died on a cross? Why not some other death, says the catechism? What's so special about the cross? There were many crosses in that day that the Romans strung people up on. What is the cross? Why are there so many crosses on church buildings? Or on the baptismal fount? Or crosses hung on a chain around necks? What is our comfort in Christ's cross? So that the Apostle Paul sings in Galatians 6 verse 14, But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's my theme this morning, comfort in the cross. Christ was made a curse. Notice four points. What is the curse of the law? Who are underneath that curse? How was Christ made a curse for us? And the blessed consequences. First of all, what is the curse of the law? The Apostle Paul has been showing the Galatians that salvation is not by our works. He showed that the law did not give the blessing of salvation. It doesn't give the blessing of salvation because all had broken that law so that all that the law can now do is curse. Deuteronomy 27, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them. So in olden times, the Apostle Paul points out with Abraham, the blessing came not by the law, but by faith, and he was accounted righteous. We read in Habakkuk 2, verse 4, the just shall live by faith. But now having taught that doctrine that we are saved not by works but by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ, the apostle shows that the foundation and the root of that doctrine, why is it that is a person is not saved by works but by faith? Why? Because salvation lies in Jesus Christ, your and my representative. It is faith that unites us to Jesus Christ. It is faith that enables you and me to have his merits and his obedience accounted to us, becomes ours. Oh, faith in Christ Jesus, our substitute. Jesus Christ, our substitute, suffered in our place, took the curse from our backs upon his own back, becoming a curse for us. Yes, the text speaks of the curse of the law. The curse of the law is the curse of God. God, the lawgiver who made the law, has now 
put certain penalties on those who break and violate that law. They become subject to the wrath of the lawgiver. So it's not merely the curse of the law itself, but rather it is the great lawgiver himself that we have to do with. He who has a strong arm to defend his statutes, his law. That means four things. It means, first of all, that the curse of the law is just. All wrongdoing must be punished, for God is righteous and holy. The the curse of the law is just. Second of all, the curse of the law is unavoidable. Unavoidable because all must deal with God, the lawgiver, and you cannot escape him. Thirdly, the curse of the law is a necessary one. It is needful for the preservation of order and the manifestation of God's holiness. Sin must be punished. So the law is not only just, the, law is not, the curse of the law is not only unavoidable, the curse of the law is necessary, and the curse of the law is effectual. It's not an idle threat. What a terrible thought, then. The omnipotent, all-knowing God pronouncing a curse upon all transgressors. To be cursed by men is no little thing. But to be cursed by the Almighty God is terrible. There is sorrow, there is anguish that lies in that curse. We read in the prophet Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2, God is jealous, the Lord revengeth. Going on in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, the Lord revengeth and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserveth wrath for his enemies. The mountains quake at him, the hills melt, and the earth is burned at his presence. Yea, the world and all that dwell therein. Who can stand before his indignation? And who is able to abide the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Or again, Malachi 4, verse 1, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly, shall be stubble. And the day cometh that shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. What is the curse of the law? The curse of that arises from disobedience of God's law. It is, first of all, a sign of displeasure. Displeasure. God is angry with the wicked every day. Sin is so loathsome to the holy and pure God that he must execute vengeance upon every evil work. A curse is more than anger, It is a burning indignation. The Bible does not teach a common grace of God toward the wicked, 
but rather wrath and hatred. Psalm 5, verse 5, Thou hatest all the workers of iniquity. Destroy thou them, O God. Or again, Psalm 11, The wicked in him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Here's the heresy that many hold to, that God only hates the sin, not the sinner. They want to talk about a common grace for all people. God loves everyone. God's word says differently, doesn't it? Thou hatest the workers of iniquity. The wicked in him that loveth violence, his soul hateth. You see, God does not play or wink at sin. Listen to him. Beware ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Hebrews chapter 12, God is a consuming fire. So it is God in his wrath that threatens and calls down penalties and vengeance upon evildoers. He visits the offender. He punishes him in time and eternity. He overwhelms those that walk in sin. God comes and he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, didn't he? When Ananias and Sapphira, lest you say that's only in the Old Testament, when Ananias and Sapphira told their lies to the Holy Spirit, they died on the spot. God's curse is an effectual power. Does anyone still want to posit a common grace upon the wicked? The curse of the law, beloved, is to be banished from the face of God. That's what hell is. Banished forever from God's presence. Banished from all hopes of peace or restoration. It's come to come to lose the blessings that come with God's favor. It is to lose peace of mind and hope and life itself. For we read, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. It is to be cast into that eternal death, separated from God. That's what came to the serpent, Satan, in his rebellion against God. He would crawl upon his belly all of his heaven and he has no place on, on earth here and he has no place in God's new creation. Yes, the curse of the law is the exact opposite of God's beautiful covenant where there is love, there is joy, there is peace, there is light, there is life, there is fellowship, there is forgiveness, there is, res- there is righteousness. There are today, beloved, many who live in mirth. They dress in fine clothes. They revel in the world's goodies. They are eating and drinking. They are acting as if they are a law to themselves. They really think that God does not see or that God will not act. 
do not be fooled. God is not mocked. He who made the law and gave it has appended penalties to it to those who violate that law. Beloved, that is the curse of the law. That brings me to my second point. Who? Who are underneath that curse of the law? And the answer? By nature, by nature, we all are under the curse of the law. In this chapter from Galatians, the reference is primarily to Israel of the old dispensation. Israel and the old dispensation were the covenant people. They were the heirs of the promise of salvation. On Mount Sinai, the law was given unto them. And that law that was given to them did not take away the promise that first of all came to them under Abraham. But Israel was obliged to obey that law and to bear the curse of the law if they did not perfectly obey that law that Moses gave them. Boys and girls, do you remember when Israel entered into the land of Canaan, crossing the Jordan River with Joshua, They were covenanted to Jehovah to answer responsibly for the keeping of the law with its blessings and its curses. Do you remember how when they came into the land of Canaan, half of the tribes were there amounted on Mount Gerizim, the other half of the tribes there on Mount Ebal. And the Levites read to the people, the blessings and the curse of the law. Perhaps for devotions today, you would like to read those. Deuteronomy 27 and Deuteronomy chapter 28. And as they were read, then the people of God would answer to the blessings, yes, we will receive those blessings in the way of obedience. And when the curses of the law were read to them, the people said, yes, yes, we will bear that responsibility if we disobey. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of the law to do them. And the people voluntarily assured, assumed that curse with a solemn amen. Beloved, all who are underneath the law and the works of the law are under a curse. For who? Who is able to keep the law perfectly? Even as redeemed saints, are we able to keep that law perfectly? Over and over the people of Israel, if you will remember, trampled the law of God underfoot. Both in their wilderness wandering and even living in the land of Canaan. And now these foolish Galatians, under the prodding of the Judaizers, they were, re- they were tempted to return again to the bondage of the law. We're going to try to save ourselves by being obedient. Yet the words of our text are not only applicable to Israel underneath the old dispensation, and it's not just to the New Testament churches 
but it is to all humanity, for all are under the law. Because that law is written, isn't it, upon the conscience of every man, woman, and child. That law is written to love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love neighbor as self. That is the unchanging obligation of God's law. And we sin. In Adam, we rebelled against God. In Adam, we violated the covenant. In Adam, we trampled underfoot God's law of love. And the sentence was given, the day thou eatest thereof, thou wilt surely die. So each one of us is born in sin. Born underneath God's wrath, we are underneath the curse of the law. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, By one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed unto all men, for that all have sinned. You see, all of us stand underneath Mount Ebal. Under the thunder of the law, cursed be everyone that confirmeth not all the works of the law to do them. And uh, in ourselves, there's no way out. Of ourselves, we only increase in our sin and our guilt, don't we? By nature, we are corrupt, darkened in our understanding. By nature, in Adam, we are underneath the curse of the law. And the sentence of the law... The sentence of the law is not like the ineffectual sentence of many human judges. The human judges say, yes, you are guilty, but we're going to be very lenient with you. And punishment is delayed or even canceled. The wrath of God pursues the wicked, pursues the wicked day and night throughout all life. Romans 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And that curse reveals itself in sickness and in pain and in sorrow and in strife and in destruction and in war, and in death, pursuing us to the grave, and past the grave to hell. How terrible is that curse of the law, of each which each of us is guilty. We have now seen that the curse of the law is and that all men by nature are underneath that curse, how gladly we step in our outline to the third point then. Christ made a curse for us. Christ. That's our text, isn't it? And that's the brunt of Lord's Day 15, the doctrine of substitution. 
the gospel consists of substitution. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed there on Calvary's cross instead of our blood, that is the only way of salvation. Christ, a substitute, standing in place of those whom he represents. We have seen what a terrible thing sin is. God, from the necessity of his holiness, must curse it, must punish the evildoer. But the Lord's Christ, the second person of the Trinity, he came down in our flesh and he suffered in his own person the curse due to you and to me. That he might redeem us, those who were underneath the curse of the law. If I turn to the next chapter in Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, we read in verses 4 through 6, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman and made underneath the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts crying, Abba, Father. Instead of cursed ones, we become sons and daughters of God. So let's go to the text that I read, Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Being made a curse for us. He was made a curse. Notice, Christ was no curse in himself. He was spotlessly innocent. In him was no sin at all. But the apostle writes, God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus, the Christ, as an individual, no spot or blemish, the perfect lamb of God, he was made sin for us. Because God loved us, because Christ loved us, and he chose to put himself in our place. How was Christ made a curse for us? All of the sins of God's people throughout all the centuries were laid upon him. As we read in Isaiah, he made him to be sin for us. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all, and he shall bear their iniquities. Jesus, all of his life, but especially there on the cross of Calvary, stood in the sinner's place. Our sins imputed to him so that his righteousness might be imputed upon us. The curse of the law laid on Christ Jesus. Christ was made a curse. We wouldn't dare to say those kind of words, would we, except that God's word says them. Christ lost God's favor. That is, God turned his face away, as we sang in Psalter number 47. 
And God's statement when he was baptized, when Christ was baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I well pleased, that was eclipsed, wasn't it, in those dark hours on the cross. With God the Son's cry, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Boys and girls, just as the sun is eclipsed at times by the moon, darkened. So God's statement of love and approval of his son was eclipsed there for a while on the cross. Not because Jesus himself personally was disobedient, no, but because our sins and the curse for sin was laid on him. Christ literally was made a curse for us. He took that curse of the law and he suffered all of the penalty of it all of his life, but especially there and exactly in and through the shameful and bitter death of the cross. The last penalty of breaking the law was death. And therefore our Redeemer dies. He yields up his life on the cross. He is numbered with the transgressors bearing the curse instead of his people. Bearing the load of our sins. Do you see that Christ makes all the difference? Christ makes all the difference. There in the Garden of Eden, the serpent was cursed. There in the Garden, the earth was cursed. But we don't read that Adam and Eve were cursed. The promise came to them. The Christ was in their loins. And therefore they are not cursed. Christ makes all the difference as the Israelites trampled God's law. They looked to the altar where the blood of the sacrifice flowed, typifying, pointing forward to the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why God never annihilated his people as a whole, but he blessed Israel. And you and me. You and I never feel the curse of the law. We are never utterly forsaken by God because of Jesus Christ. The curse that was due to us as transgressors was put on him. And we are blessed. So the whole question there, question 39, is now especially, yes, we know he suffered and he died, but why on the cross? And here's the answer. Exactly in and through the shameful and the bitter death of the cross, Christ became a curse for us. Yes, the cross was a symbol of the curse that Christ was bearing there. For it was written in Deuteronomy 21, verses 22 and 23, 
Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. He that is hanged is accursed of God. Speaking of or after a guilty person was put to death by the sword or by stoning, the, pub, the body was then publicly held up on a cross. Heaven not receiving it, earth having no use for it. That hanging on a tree was a curse of God, and that is exactly now what Jesus Christ must go through. Christ's death must assume the form of crucifixion. He became a curse for us. He must die, not of natural causes. He must die, not of diseases or old age or stoning, as they sometimes tried to do with him, or from pushing him from a high hill. He must not die secretly, as the Jewish Jews intended to do after the Passover. No, it must be a public display. A public display making known to Christ Jesus himself as he stands in your my place. My father who loves me personally is going to curse me, forsake me. That must be made known to Jesus consciously. And no wonder then in the garden of Gethsemane he cries out, is there another way? Is there any other way? But not my will, but thy will be done. God was speaking to Christ there on the cross. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Cursed are you as you stand in the place of guilty sinners. It's in the cross that God's righteous and holy anger against sin speaks. And Jesus, Jesus willingly and lovingly takes that curse. He gives his attention to that curse. And he descends, as it were, into the depths of hell, receiving the wrath of God. Oh, beloved, if common grace was real, then there'd be no necessity of the cross. But Jesus tastes the curse of the law, cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that you and I and all those represented by Jesus may cry out, God, Be merciful unto me, a sinner. So the cross was a symbol to Christ Jesus of what he was doing, but the cross, beloved, is also an emblem for you and me. It's a symbol of the expression of Christ bearing the curse, taking it on himself. No wonder it's on our baptismal fountain. No matter it's, it's on our churches. No wonder that women want to wear it as an emblem on their chest. Christ was lifted up. Christ was cast out in abomination. There was no place on earth and heaven could not receive him as he hung there with our sins, suspended between heaven and earth. 
And so whenever we see a cross, whether on a church building or worn on a chain around the neck, it is not mere decoration. It's not just a cute ornament. But it's a testimony. Christ was made a curse for us. That's what Lord's Day 39, uh, question and answer 39 is all about. In Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. Christ makes all the difference. The cross of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. There are those who want to sing about a cross. I will cling to the old cross, and someday I'm going to replace it with a crown. But let's define that cross. The cross of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. As I said earlier, there were many crosses. Many people were hung by the Romans on crosses. Saul and his son's bodies were hung up, hanging from the wall. What makes the cross of Jesus Christ difference? Oh, the blessed consequences of Christ cross. Our text, he hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. For all those for whom Christ died, all those who were given to Christ in eternity, are forever free from the curse of the law. That's why Adam and Eve weren't cursed in the garden. That's why Israel continued as a nation and entered into the promised land with God's blessings upon them. And that's why you and I do not endure the curse of the law. Christ took it. You and I don't know what it is to receive the wrath of God. We receive only his blessings. And so when we read the law, we stand just like Israel did under Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And you and I are able to say yay and amen to the law because we stand underneath that law in Christ Jesus who has obeyed the law perfectly. And in him and his righteousness we also are blessed. No condemnation. The cross doesn't curse twice for an offense. Christ was offended. Christ was cursed. And Christ paid all that God demands so that there's no more punishment for you and for me. We were great in great debt. Christ paid that debt in full. Christ suffered the wrath of God so that you and I can experience the favor and the love of God. What a beautiful assurance then we have in this Lord's day, don't we? Christ was cast out. He bled for me as my surety. On the cross, he discharged my debts. And so I and you in Christ Jesus, we are 
clear of guilt. We are clean. We are absolved. We are delivered. It is just as if we had never sinned. It is just as if we had forever lived perfectly righteous. Yes, our text says, doesn't it? Galatians 3 verse 13. He hath redeemed us. But not only did he bear the full curse for our sins, but by rising again, he made an end to sin and death for us. By his resurrection, he brings us that new life that is ours, a righteous life. The curse removed, God's blessings flow on us. The blessings of Abraham, of that seed, that precious seed. Galatians 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And through Christ there is a mighty stream of blessings that flow to us. What are those blessings, boys and girls? What are those blessings that we receive with Christ? It's first of all the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The Holy Spirit comes down from heaven and is given to the church and enters our hearts. And by the Holy Spirit and the word of God dwelling in our hearts, we have peace with God. We're filled with love for God and for our neighbor. We have joy in our hearts. We have forgiveness of all of our sins we know that we are righteous before God, that he accepts us, that we are his children, sons and daughters. Oh, how that mighty stream of blessings makes glad those who hunger and thirst for it. We drink from that stream. How great, beloved, is God's grace and mercy, full and free, as great as your and my poverty and sin, there is great mercy. O child of God, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in his sacrifice on the cross as the removal of all of your sins. Look, keep on looking at that wonderful cross of Jesus. Don't look at the works of your hands but rather come to the Lord Jesus from whom there is and there was a stream of blood and water that came when he was gutted by a sword. A double cure to cleanse from guilt and power of sin. Look to Jesus crucified. Not just this morning, for this one hour, go home every day of this week looking to Jesus who bore the curse for us so that we experience God's love and favor. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for our Lord Jesus Christ. What a Savior. And, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, we love thee. We love thee that thou hast loved us and given thyself for us. We want to live for thee, delight in thee, 
serve thee and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen.